Christian. So uh, we have been at it for a while now. We'll continue to move through it, um, reminding us that um, from the beginning of Ephesians, a lot of theology it defines that, that Christ uh, rules and reigns over the cosmos. He is Lord. Uh, our salvation has been planned by the Father. It has been accomplished by the Son. And we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Remember Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we know that because Christ's life, death, and resurrection and ascension guarantees that he rules and reigns so much so that his enemies are a footstool. He props his feet up, as it were, on the forces of darkness. And yet we live in the lower story that is here on earth where we see evil and difficulty. We see beauty and glory, but we see brokenness and trial. And so God has left us equipped with the word and spirit to live out this reigning rule in a conquering way. Not conquering with weapons and violence, but conquering with the gospel, the word of truth. And so we've persisted into this part of the story. Here to begin with in chapter in verse 15, he talks about how we walk. He reiterates the idea of walking out the gospel. We said that last week, we walk in light. He said that earlier chapters that we walk out, we live out. One commentator took this idea of walking out as though we, we own something and then we, we flesh it out. He, he compared it to an actor Actors learn their script, they learn the words, and then they act out on the stage the script. They live it out. So to we, on, we come together, we rehearse the script on Sunday, and then we live it out Monday through Saturday. We live out the gospel as we go. Like a jazz musician, we know the melody and the chords so well that we get to live it out. And to live it out, we have to uh, improv. Because every situation and circumstance is a little bit different, right? We know it. Then tomorrow brings a new scenario. We have to live that out in a fresh way. We have to learn it. The same author says this. Improvisation is not about shooting from the hip or just ad-libbing. But says this. As an aspiring aspiring actor knows, improvisation, this is important, is more about doing or saying what is obvious for your character in the story in relation to others on the stage than it is about coming up with something original. What's he saying? Actors know the script so well that given different contexts and situations, they automatically live out of the character of the actor. So they learn the script, they learn the lines, and then things get changed but the actor knows how the character would respond given the change in situations. It's like, well, that's really, that's really powerful. Pastor, what does it have to do with us? I'm not trying to be cute here. We're to learn the gospel script. We know the script. We have the word of God. We know the story. We know how the story ends. We have the full picture from God. We know the, the director, the creator, the one that made the story, the script. And yet we have to live it out each day in a variety of contexts that are constantly changing, right? Adapting. We have to improv. We have to be the jazz jazz musician who knows the basics, but then is able to play and be creative and to adapt to situations. Give you an example. Honor your father and mother. Everybody know that one? One of the commandments, right? Uh, Straightforward principle. And yet, uh, what does that look like for a small child? 
Looks like, you know, obeying mom and dad, following, the, following their instructions, doing what they're told to do. What does that look like for a 50 or 60-year-old with aging parents? Looks different, doesn't it? It may look like staying in close communication to them, getting their opinion, spending time with them, valuing them. Same principle, honor your father and mother, different context. We have the sort of normative, the scripture, and then we have the situational. Life changes, and we're faced with difficulties and challenges at work that we've never faced, and they're different. And so we have to know it so well, we come together, that we go out in the world and we're able to live it in a faithful way where we work and play and so forth. We could do this with a number of things. And this is how our text plays out today because the idea of walking out the faith, we know something and then we have to walk it out. We have to live out the script in everyday life. And here Paul says it takes at least two things to walk carefully. Two things. It takes wisdom and it takes the Spirit of God. First, wisdom. Wisdom. We need wisdom to know how to walk out the Christian life every day. We need wisdom. Verse 15, look at this. Can we put that up there by chance? 15 through 17. It says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Throughout the Bible, wisdom is contrasted with folly. Or foolishness. And wisdom is not just truth. We have truth. But wisdom is truth applied in the various contexts and situations we face. Right? Do you see improv again here? It's truth. We all have the truth. But we have to apply it with a certain degree of discernment in the various contexts and situations that we may face. And so we need wisdom. We need maturity. How According to this, are we to be wise? He says two things. First, he says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. If we're going to be a faithful church in the world, we have to make the best use of the time. Now, this is not so much, I grew up thinking when I first heard this, this was about kind of the Western idea of like, you know, time management where we organize everything and we people that like to do this, calendars, and we have everything lined up and our schedules are just perfect and we fit everything. That, that may be involved in that, planning and structuring. But it means more, as some translations say, redeeming the time. To be wise as the people of God, we redeem, we make the most of the days and the time. To redeem can mean to buy back. It can also mean to rescue Think about Israel in the Old Testament and Exodus. Remember, they were redeemed or they were rescued from bondage in Pharaoh. They were brought back to be useful. Christ has what? Redeemed us. He has purchased us, bought us back with his own blood. He has rescued us from sin and bondage. And now we as the people of God in the world, we are to rescue. We're to redeem the time on earth as we have it. It says, because the days are evil, there is a great opportunity in the world for darkness. This is why Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus, who's living a secular, dark, a pluralistic, a polytheistic culture. They're not Jesus-loving people, this small group of Christians in Ephesus. And so he's given them a word. You live in this world, it's dark, 
Redeem it. Use it for purposes that are honoring and glorifying. We spoke last week about being in the world but not of the world. Something about redeeming means to be on mission, to make your life count. Now, I'm not going to go into every possible application of this, but some of them should be, uh, uh, should be fairly clear. Teenagers, college students, a grown, adult grown men that spend hours on video games, hours in the night, all night, that's not redeeming the time. That's kind of a low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Playing golf five days a week for four hours, probably not redeeming the time. I guess if you're a professional golfer, maybe it would be. But I don't know if it's me in here. Scrolling endlessly, mindlessly on social media for hours, numbing out, probably not redeeming the time. Watching TV shows nonstop, numbing, disconnecting, probably. Does this mean the, Paul's against leisure or rest or entertainment? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means, church, you want to be this conquering force in the world, we've got to use time well. Uh, I remember a pastor a few years ago talking about travel and the, the, the everyone travels and you see it in the summer and pictures everywhere and, um, and he sort of helps ease the tension of FOMO we have because they got to go to Italy and they got to go to Argentina and they got to go to wherever they went and you're like, man, I want to do those things. And he, he made the point, I think it's valid, um, we have eternity to explore the new heavens and the new earth. Did you know that? Like we will have an earth, and we'll get to explore. So the places you haven't made, you haven't seen, in the new heavens and new earth, you'll get to see them. So no FOMO. Don't worry. You're going to see it. Isn't that good and encouraging? I like to travel, but there's places I probably won't go. But in, in all of eternity, before God, we'll get to see that place. But we have one life to redeem. There'll be no need for redemption there, right? It'll be perfect. We have one life to make the most use, the best use of our time, for the purposes God has given us. So church, let's redeem the time. Use it well. That's what wisdom looks like. Second thing wisdom looks like, he says, to understand the will of the Lord. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. What's the counter to foolishness? Understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, this improvisation. How many of us have prayed that? Lord, I don't know what your will is in this situation. I don't know what to do in this situation. Right? Scripture says something, there's a principle, but we're in a new context, and we don't know exactly how to play it out, so we say, Lord, show us your will. Lead us. Given this context, this moment, what does it look like? Jesus said that in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was arrested, the day before he was crucified. He's in the garden, right? He knows what's coming, his death, and what does he pray? If it's possible... If your will would be, could you take this cup, this cup means the wrath of God, the suffering that's about to happen, and could this pass by me? That's my desire, Jesus says to the Father. That's my desire. But not my will, but your will be done. In wisdom, I realize your will is that which is best. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer, right? We pray that all the time. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anybody pray that, the Lord's Prayer, some of us? So when we pray that, do you realize that our will, what we want, and the will of God are often at odds? 
So to actually pray that, we're saying, I'm going to pray for this thing, your will, that actually goes against what I really want, trusting that what you want for me is better than I want for myself. How many of us voluntarily do that, like naturally do that? No, we don't. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. We're saying, this is what I want, like Jesus in the garden. I don't know if that's what you want. So I'm going to surrender it and say, Lord, your will in this situation, would you show me? And if my will needs to conform, may it be so. May you override my desire that it be in line with your desire. (laughs) That's incredibly mature. That's hard to do. It takes wisdom. The wisdom of God for us to lay down our will. What does that look like to have that kind of prayer? It involves asking the Lord, but it involves listening to the Lord. To ask and to be still and listen, let the Lord reveal, let the Lord show you, let the Lord use the scripture, let the Lord use others in our lives, wise counsel, that we would understand what it means to be wise. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to be the, the, the wise people that know how to give counsel and direction that would benefit our families, our community, but also this city? We need wisdom. We need wisdom to do that. Second thing we need. We need wisdom to walk faithfully. We also need the Spirit of God. And and these really aren't two things. They're really one thing. Any wisdom we have would come from the Spirit. But Paul uses them kind of as a one and two in terms of action steps. You need wisdom. Walk, Walk with wisdom. And then he says, now walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom, but he puts them that way, so we'll take them that way too. Look at what he says, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he goes on, speaking about how to be filled with the Spirit. Interesting that he contrasts drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, Alcohol, drunkenness was an issue uh, in the first century A.D., as it is in our cultural moment. One commentator said, in spite of the fact that the distillation process for alcohol had not yet been invented, there was an enormous problem with drunkenness through overindulgence of naturally fermented beverages. Overindulgence. That's what the word debauchery is. It's overdoing it. First century Jewish philosopher Philo wrote a treatise entitled On Drunkenness where he he didn't mount a case against for abstinence. He didn't say no alcohol. But he said, lamented the indiscipline of people taking in too much and therefore acting foolishly. Now, we all know that's connected, right? I mean, we're Presbyterians, or some of us are Presbyterians, so we're not against alcohol use. But we all know, if you haven't struggled with it, you know people in your family and your circle that have been deeply, deeply harmed by alcohol. And when we take it in, we know we don't make the best decisions but it's interesting, why, why does Paul bring that up here? I mean, it seems kind of out of the blue. Okay, it was an issue, and alcohol is an issue. They struggle with it. Okay, they struggle with other issues too. Why does he bring it up here? Because he's contrasting being filled with, not being filled with one thing, but instead being filled with something else. Did you see that? That's what he says. Don't be filled with this thing, but be filled with this thing. What's the contrast what does alcohol do to you? You take it in, you take it in the body, and then it becomes, begins to control you. 
It begins to impact you. It begins to impair you. It impacts your judgment. There's a lot of things we might regret that have happened in our lives because of too much alcohol, right? We were taken over by it. Therefore, we did things that we didn't want to do or shouldn't have done because it influenced in such a level. And Paul is not against being influenced by something. He just wants us to be influenced by something better, something else. Not be filled with alcohol to be impaired in such a way, but be filled with the Spirit or be controlled by the Spirit, be overcome by the Spirit so that we live out this life of faithfulness and wisdom to the Lord. Now, when I say being filled with the Spirit, we may think of immediately some type of, you know, um, spiritual ecstasy or some kind of charismatic thing where you're, you're flopping around or flailing. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about out of control, but actually the Spirit being controlled, that we can actually be what we're called to be as followers of Christ. We can be more faithful, not less faithful. Alcohol in, ex- in excess makes us unfaithful. <laughs> being controlled by the Spirit makes us more in line and faithful to who God is and what God has for us. As we look at what it means to be filled with the Spirit, there's a brief little aside here. Um, this can be confusing. You may have been asked this question. I've been asked this a good bit. Uh, being filled with the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit, are there multiple Spirit things going on? Let's just be clear. There is one receiving of the Spirit. There is one often called baptism of the Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit in full measure. You've been a Christian for five minutes. You've been a Christian for 75 years. No matter what role you play in the church, you have the fullness in that way of the Spirit. There's no second tier. There's no second baptism of the Spirit. Clear? There's one. But but the text does make uh, notice that there is a sense of being filled with the Spirit. And that is the ongoing, it's a present tense verb, ongoing communion with God through His Spirit. This is the relational, this is the connection, this is the communion with the Spirit. We don't get, not like we didn't have the Spirit and now we got it. If you're a believer, you have it, but are you walking in line with it? Are you walking out of the Spirit? Are you living in accord with it? Well, we don't need a second baptism. We have one baptism, as we read earlier in Ephesians, that we live it out. As the temple filled the Old Testament... He came in and filled the people of God that they would then take the Spirit and live out into the world. The Spirit of God indwells us. We are the temple. And then we live it out in the world. And that is certainly related to our communion with Christ. Colossians ties the Spirit and the Word. As we take in the Word of God, as we put in the spiritual things, then we live out of the Holy Spirit. We're filled in that way. What does that look like? Um, he's going to list four things. We don't have time to go to them in depth. He's going to list four things that, that relate to being filled with the Spirit. And these, these aren't necessarily an exhaustive list. Um, but if you're filled with the Spirit, there are these four things that it looks like. Okay, and, and not to nerd out on you, but all four of these things are connected to this verb to be filled. So it's to be filled, and then there's four things. They're participles. They're dependent upon this main verb. Be filled, this is how, by addressing, by this, by this, by this. You got it? So they're related. So they're all about the Spirit. First one, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, there's an addressing one another. That's sort of an idiom that means corporate worship. If you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is dominating your life, controlling your life, you gather together for corporate worship. And while there is an audience of one, you hear these things, we're worshiping the Lord, that's true. We are here together, not in our closet at home, we're here together as the people of God, right? We're singing, hearing one to another. It encourages my heart. In many ways, we sing life. We sing the gospel into each other as we sing. We tell the story of truth. We rehearse the script, if you will, as we sing it so that we own it more fully so we can be sent out to live it. That's what we do. And you know, sometimes when you come, I've been here, sometimes when you come to church, you're here, but you can't sing it. You know, it's too painful, too many burdens, too many worries, too, just, too much guilt, too much shame. You're just kind of covered in it. You know that? Maybe I'm the only one. Feel that. And so you know what we need? <laughs> I need you next to me to sing it. It doesn't, doesn't music, and I'm not a musical person, so I'm so thankful for people like Brandon and Meredith and Katie and all those people. But doesn't music move the heart and the soul in a way that words just are limited to do? So sometimes I'm there, even right there, about to come up here, and I don't know if I'm believing it, if I'm feeling it, if I'm with it, and I look around, and you're, you're singing the truth of the gospel. We sing it to one another. That's what music does. We sing it. Filled with the Spirit means we're, we're a part of it. We sing it to one another. We, in some ways, during worship, we borrow each other's faith for the moment. I need, I need to borrow it now. I need to borrow the words I can't sing in my sorrow from you to move through today to live faithfully as the people of God, as the person of God. I, just quickly, he says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. There's a lot of literature on this. At a minimum, it means uh, there's not one type of music. So if you just think, man, it's only hymns, uh, there's the, the Jewish people would say, no, we all, we're only psalms. Jews, psalms, Gentiles did hymns. Songs are contemporary. Those contemporary, terrible, evil people sing contemporary songs. No, that's terrible. That's wrong. No, there's songs, there's hymns, and there's, there's psalms, hymns, and songs. Spiritual probably refers and modifies all of them. So spiritual songs, spiritual hymns, spiritual songs, all of them are okay. That's good news for us because the song that you absolutely hate, that your neighbor loves, is good to sing as long as it's filled with the Spirit and the Word of God. And the song that you love and the rest of us are struggling to get through we can rejoice in because if it's spirit-filled, if it's true to the Word of God, it can edify someone. If you like every song here, uh, probably not. You know, If you hate every song, just wait. We'll sing another one. You'll like it. We should all be equally offended and disappointed every Sunday and rejoicing every Sunday. Right? Let's not, let's not do the worship wars. That's not, that's, not, that's not who we are. That's not who God's people. We, we've we far too long settled in the church for those kind of silly things, right? It's not who we are. Opinion's fine. Preference's fine. Let's sing and edify one another. Second thing, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Again, singing. This is less about corporate worship and more about it's personal. This is devotion to the Lord. I was sitting up here uh, one Sunday and one of my kids was with me. 
I won't name who it was, and uh, I was singing, and uh, there was a break or a prayer, and this particular child looked over at me and said, your singing's kind of rough, Dad. (laughs) This was not a new thing for me to hear. And I said, I wasn't singing to you. Which I thought was pretty good in the moment. Felt pretty excited about that. Um, We sing together, but we sing to the Lord. Spirit-filled means devotional. Can the heart sing? Do we know Jesus in a way? Is there communion? We say, am I filled with the Spirit? What does that look like? Does my heart enjoy personal communion with the Lord? Whether we're in public or whether we're private, is our heart glad with worship? Three, addressing one another, uh, singing to the Lord. Three, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, giving thanks dependent on being filled. We're filled, how? By giving thanks. Gratitude. And these are kind of easy ones, right? Are we grateful people, not just in Thanksgiving when we have a ridiculous amount of food in front of us, but are we thankful people in plenty and in want? Are we thankful? Are we cultivating that? Thankful always. And look who's involved in this. Why are we to be thankful? We're being filled with the Spirit. Thankful to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have reason to be thankful? Do you realize the degree that God has gone to purchase you and pursue you? It wasn't a, like, a, like a spur of the moment thing. It was the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit pursued and came after and planned and purchased you, executed it, and then the Spirit applies it to you with gifts and the body and the word to us. This is not a haphazard thing like God was in eternity past kind of bored. Like, what are we going to do today? God purchased us and pursued us. And so no matter how bad it is, no matter what the struggle is, giving thanks always to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of God. Gratitude. How are we doing with gratitude? Is it in our heart? Is it part of your life? Filled with the Spirit, more gratitude, people of gratitude. There's tons of reasons to complain. And I know, because I'm a complainer. There's your gratitude. Finally, lastly, and this will set us up for the very fun text next week, is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting. We love that word, don't we? Such a great word, submitting. Singing, our heart's devotion, gratitude. Submitting, look what it says, to one another... This is not talking about the family. This is not talking about people to elders. It's talking about one another. We're to submit. How? Why? To the Lord. My submission to you as a member of the church is to the Lord. That we are to act in in humility, in deference, in respect, one another. We're not to be a place where you come in and we we jockey for position. We try to one-up each other. We come in these walls. We are a place where we are to submit and to serve and to sacrifice. Do you remember Jesus got, was mad at the, uh, the Pharisees, the Gentiles? He says, the Gentiles try to lord it over them. They try to force submission, right? Power play. And he says, no, not with you. The, the, the brother fighting over who's going to sit at Jesus' left and right. Remember the disciples? And Jesus says, you guys. That's, that's, like, the, that's like the Gentiles. That, that's like the, the Pharisees. That's not how we do it here. We're, this is... 
We submit to one another. We sacrifice. We serve. We're filled with the Spirit as we submit one to another. How'd you do? How'd your checklist? You hear your worship. You made that. Sing to the Lord. Sing for your neighbor. How's your devotional life? What's it like? Does the heart, whether you sing audibly or whether does your heart sing to the Lord? Is there a growing sense of gratitude? Like, yes, I've got some problems. Look at our culture. We've got some problems. But God's people begin with gratitude. And finally, what's our posture with one another? Are we submitting to one another? How do we live out the script? How do we improvise? I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. I don't know what works like. I don't know what the boss is going to say. How do you know the gospel, know the script so well that tomorrow, curveball, how do you live it out? Bad news, phone call. Do you know the character? Do you know how to live it out? It will be tried. It will be tested. And some of you say, well, this is a lot of information, Pastor. I don't know if I can keep up with all this. Well, my encouragement to you is know the one whose spirit it is. It is the spirit of Christ. Know the wise one who came to live in wisdom. Who is wisdom. The proverb we read is lived out in the person of Jesus. There's no guessing. It's him. Can we live out the script tomorrow in line with what would Jesus do? That's not a bad mantra. Maybe we should get rid of the wristbands and live it, right? Can we live in line How can we do that? How can we do that? Because he redeemed us. We can't just muster it up. He redeemed us. He purchased us. He bought us. He's made us new. He's made us light. He's given us a message to walk out and live. So we trust him. We look to him, the wise one. We look to him, the spirit giver. We ask, oh God, would you help us in your death and resurrection that we might be a faithful witness 